0: Hey, welcome back, or welcome for the first time. This is our Nittelnacht episode. It's got a little something for everyone. <laughs> we have our very first guest. We talk Christmas music and Broadway and Orlando Bloom and anti-Semitism. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share with a friend who you think might like it, and you can follow us on Spotify and soon-to-be other podcast platforms as well, hopefully. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Voice Notes. I'm Shira and this is my friend Miriam.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Miriam and I teach Jewish history uh, and I actually just finished the semester, but I still have lots of grading ahead of me. And
0: this is my friend Devora.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Devorah. I work in publishing and I, I'm just friends with all the cool women here and love talking to them about whatever it is that's on our minds.
0: And this week we are joined by our extra special friend Nessia. So, Nessia, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? We've known each other for a really long time, so go for it. Very long time. One of the coolest things about me is I live in Canada.
3: (laughs) And that's where Shira and I met. We became friends when she lived in
0: Canada. And so that's about it. That's all there is to know about Nessia. That's it. That's it. Okay, so this week uh, we are coming up on the second holiday of December, I don't know if many of you have heard of it. Uh, it's referred to as Christmas. It has some other names as well. Miriam, do you want to share some of the The real holiday the colorful Nittelnacht.
1: And the way you celebrate Nittelnacht is by either playing chess or ripping toilet paper to use on Shabbat. What does Nacht
2: mean? Name given to Christmas Eve by Jewish scholars in the 17th century. And it derives from the medieval Latin name for Christmas, Natalis. Natalis.
0: It's also associated with the Hebrew nitla, the hanged one, which was used in medieval times to refer to Jesus.
2: Oh, interesting. Oh. In Hebrew, they would call Jesus nitla, the hanged one. There has been a tradition, like you mentioned, the chess and the toilet paper, which is funny. I never heard the toilet paper one. There has been a tradition for really, really long time about avoiding Torah study so there was the question was sort of why one reason i heard that this that this or this custom origin originated was that traveling like going to shul going to a base madrash going somewhere in order to study tour together it was kind of seen as like a dangerous night to be out because it was so often a time of pogroms so jews would just kind of stay home and like hunker down to try to just like stay out of sight um I've heard that that's sort of the origin of it, um, but also there was sort of a spiritual dimension where people felt like there was a negative or a not. I don't want to put negative and non-Jewish in the same sentence because that's not how I as like a 21st century see the world. But in that time when Christianity was a source of a lot of pain and suffering for Jews, that Christian holiday felt like a time of something negative to them. So they they felt like there was a sort of Bad energy that they were trying to avoid, giving giving it power or giving it more um, attention or whatever by doing things that are joyful, learning Torah being something that's joyful, um, and some some even go so far as to see Jesus as a demon that gets what? power on Christmas. Yeah, that's what it says here.
0: You're not um, like giving Caius to the Clepas and the, yeah, and they would even
2: eat garlic to try to ward off this demon Jesus. A vampire. Like a vampire? I guess so. (laughs) And then Jewish children would be afraid to go to the outhouses because they were afraid of, like, this, like, demon Jesus being out there and, like, grabbing them. Um, And apparently the Baal Shemta was the one. Do not send this episode to my mom. I'm, I'm so sorry. Trigger warning for any Christians listening, but this is not our, these are not our feelings today. No. These are really. the feelings of shtetl Jews who were persecuted a lot. So we're going to cut like them what, some slack on their yeah. negative feelings towards Christianity because they got really just did not have a good experience.
0: Wow. And we're like reading online. We're like, oh, and also. And also they, so apparently
2: the Baal Shemto, who as we know is the founder of um, Hasidus, all the Hasidic groups uh, that are now, uh, we know today, um. Popularize this observance of nittilnaff of trying to kind of this sort of spiritual dimension of seeing it as a time of like something that we want to sort of ward off. Um just lay low. Yeah, exactly. I don't know where the chess came from. I don't know why they couldn't just like the Rebbe. The Rebbe and the Friday Rebbe played chess. Why not just like I don't know, clean the house,
0: do the dishes, fold the laundry? Like there's plenty to do if you don't want to learn Torah. (laughs) I think the Rebbe and the Friday Rebbe came from doing something that was like intellectually stimulating. Mm. So they play chess because like that's also like Good for you and good for your brain and stuff, but it's not learning Torah. Interesting. Some yeah. other names
2: for Christmas Eve in Jewish tradition: the blind blindenacht the Blind Night. I'll just say the English instead of the Yiddish. You don't. Have to listen no, to I want it the Yiddish. Behnacht, woe Night, like Woe as in sad Like Ve, like Oy vey. Yeah, Goyim Nacht. Okay. Obvious. Tole Nacht, the night of the crucified one. Okay. Yezis Nacht, which is Jesus. Finstera, which is dark night, and Moira Dikanach, a fearful night. Um, Really d- very different observance, Uh, probably a lot more religious and maybe a little less. Um, I mean, maybe it was I'm sure it was fun. I'm sure people had a great time, but I think it was less.
1: Uh, less Coca-Cola Santa.
2: Coca-Cola Santa. Exactly. But I think the fact that Jews kind of had this fear really of Christmas was not unwarranted at the time um that's what it seems like to me but here we are today in the 21st century and I feel like it's almost become a like a trope about Jews in Christmas there's like I saw it this week yes this year there's a comedy show going on there's always you know specials at the Chinese food places so yeah. it's interesting how a culture of Jewish Christmas has kind of like developed now almost again things that would put a medieval Jew in a coma right like they would never imagine that we would get to this place where it's just like, it's fun, we have the day off of work, we eat Chinese food. They just have you know? their own
3: way of celebrating Christmas.
0: We do. In a way, and, we do. We kind of do celebrate it, yeah. And Jews wrote all the best Christmas songs. So, like, My husband can't get over that. It's really he's like, funny.
3: He's like, it's fine if the like kids listen to Christmas music. It was written by Jews. I
2: think it's very funny, though, because, like, as as an American, you kind of can't help but, like, be wrapped up in the presence of Christmas. It's so all-encompassing. Mm-hmm. I mean, as anyone – all of us who have kids know, like, our kids see Christmas stuff all around. It's kind of one of those conversations you have to have with them, you know, since they're little. Like, this looks really fun. Why aren't we doing it? What's going on? Like, even no matter how religious you are, no matter how, shelter- how much you shelter your kids, they're going to see the – the lights and the trees and all that fun and it looks it looks super fun and they're going to ask about it and this is how young and insulated we were aj and i looked at each other and we looked at my parents and i just went what's christmas <laughs> and my father went it's like Hanukkah." and my mom undermined him immediately and went yeah but maybe even a little bit more fun <laughs>
1: Hanukkah sucks. I appreciate the new politically correct world that everybody lives in. We all pretend that all the holidays are equal. They are not equal. Everybody knows it. Hanukkah
2: is very much the Diet Coke to Christmas's black tar heroin. There is no comparison. There is no
3: comparison.
2: I feel like that's one of those things that, as parents, like, we have to kind of, uh, like, oh, that's not our thing. And I feel like when we were, at least when I was growing up, not everyone here grew up in the same environment that I did, but it was almost seen as, like, don't look at that. Don't look at those trees. Don't look at those lights. Like that's not, it's not what we look at. You know, it was so um, done with such a sense of like negativity and intensity, I guess. And I think that for the most part, I don't see people having that reaction to it anymore, but it's, it's still this like tension, I think between like this huge cultural thing that is so, it's so all encompassing that people around you who are not necessarily Christian, but just aren't Jewish. like don't even understand the fact that you don't, participate in it like it seems so like natural to them and so much just like a part of life that they're kind of almost taken aback when you say like no I actually like Christmas is literally just a random day for me like I don't do any of these things um I'm always shocked at people
3: not realizing that and being surprised by that when we so we moved here in 2019 my kids grew up in Crown Heights not exposed to any Christmas at all really And when we moved here, we went to my brother's house and it was around Christmas time. It wasn't on Christmas. And my daughter, who at the time uh, was four or five, she comes up to me and she whispers, Mommy, why do they have socks hanging on their fireplace? Stockings hanging. And she had no context for why anyone would hang stockings on a fireplace. And she was at it like to her it was like that is the weirdest thing ever and that story never fails to crack me up because it, it just points out how so much of practice is cultural and it makes sense to the people who are in it
0: that's really funny i think also it's like it's such a pervasive holiday in america and canada that people don't even realize that it is a religious holiday and like just people say that like you know america is not a not a Christian country or it's not a theocratic (laughs) state or whatever, but it's like the fact that everyone has Sundays off, not Saturdays off, that that's like, that's a thing. And no one really recognizes that that's a religious thing. And for Jews, it doesn't match. And like, we had, many of us had ancestors who would lose their jobs every week because they refused to go to work on Saturday. And then they would just lose their jobs. And it, I think that people just don't even see it. I mean, oh yeah.
2: So I work in publishing and we have these meetings where we discuss covers of books and we're doing a book that is kind of winter holiday themed. It's not specifically Christmas, but there's a lot of Christmas content. And, um, so the, the, the editor who's working on the cover, the editor and the designer. They had they were debating whether to put a Christmas tree on the cover and whether that's too specific to Christmas or that will read more as like a general winter, winter festivity. So as the token Jew in the room, they turned to me, as they often do for these questions, and said, is a Christmas tree like seen as Christian? And I said, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they're like, so we shouldn't put it on the cover because like we don't want it to come across as like exclusively Christian. And I said, you already have the word carols in the title of the book. So Jews are already not going to think it's for them. They're like, what's wrong with carols? I'm like, that's also Christian. (laughs) And again, I think because it's like in the water, it's in the air, no one thinks of it as being this like unique, like, especially because so many Americans these days are not incredibly religious in terms of their personal beliefs, in terms of their practices, all of that but it's just like culturally there it's culturally around them it doesn't occur to them to say like does my buying a christmas tree and putting presents under it and santa and all that stuff does it reflect on my like religious belief it doesn't have anything to do with how i feel about god or jesus or any of those things like i think those things are quite separate in people's minds so there's surprise that to us those things still those things still seem very much connected
0: yeah definitely so there's this thing going around that i have seen That was sent in our WhatsApp group, and there have been many texts going around of links to TikToks and tweets, et cetera, et cetera, about how obviously, guys, Jesus was Palestinian. And the first time I saw this, I was like, what? Like, canon that Jesus was Jewish? Isn't that like that's the whole thing? And apparently, not for everyone. And there was this one TikTok that when I saw it, I was like, huh? And then you look at the comments. There are all these people who are like, oh, yeah, I grew up going to Christian school. I grew up going to Catholic school. And I never understood. This makes so much more sense. He wasn't Jewish. Like, it boggles the mind. So anyway, um, this is this video that we can, uh, we can go from there
1: you're trying to tell me that the grand Master plan the purpose of everything in your life is to bring back is to bring back your guy right y'all want Jesus <laughs> to come back yes and y'all are very obviously aware that your homeboy is Palestinian right
2: like all that talk of Nazareth and Bethlehem that's That is clear-cut
3: Palestinian. Those are Palestinian cities. Where do you start with that? I don't know. Like, to me, she's saying y'all. And I'm like, who
2: is your y'all? Well, I think she's making it pretty clear that she's referencing Christian Zionists,
3: right? Right, But that's not how Christian Zionists view the world. They don't see Jesus as Palestinian. They can barely recognize him as having been Jewish. Yeah, so that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. Because I was... was shook as she would say
2: when you mentioned that because I always thought that it was like canon right like she said that Jesus was Jewish right he worked with the rabbis he was in the temple he had a seder like he had all the hallmarks and like I thought the theological like foundation of Christianity was Jews who by accepting Jesus don't have to like practice the law anymore right so when you said that Christians a lot of Christians um don't emphasize or don't fully recognize that Jesus was like historically a Jewish person I was sh- completely surprised by that I think and I was saying like Nessa, correct me if I'm wrong Jesus expert that the image of Jesus and the like persona has been adapted throughout Christianity throughout history to like meet the needs of the like political or like cultural moment basically
0: blonde white
1: man
2: Right, like physically, but also like I mm-hmm. have
1: a Mishnah about this. Oh, a go get it, go get it. See, it's we don't have not about Jesus. It's but about basically- the skin color of Jews. Oh, right, right, right. I think I saw that somewhere. And the Mishnah talking. says that Jews are the color of boxwood. So, oh, like, cool. not black and not white. It's like not white, like the Germans, like the Franks, <laughs>
0: like it's a cardboard. Box. Is
1: that yeah? It because it's talking about the wow. of, um. Ah, oh, it's Saras. and how you can recognize Sarah's stains on skin and how it shows up on like typical Jewish skin. Oh,
2: wow. Interesting. And it basically says like brown, essentially, right? Yeah, like bo- a boxwood. Tree. What's a boxwood? I'm going to look that up. Know, Google it. Like, that's such a specific tree. What does the wood of a boxwood tree look like? It's like brown.
0: I'm just imagining a
2: cardboard box. No, it's like it's like a light <laughs> like I would describe it as like a caramel brown. Nice. Like a very specific brown. It's so interesting. It's really exactly the I, tone of like a Mizrahi Jew. That's funny.
1: <laughs> like me. That's I'm so, like it a is, it's, it's <laughs> right. I'm going to tell everyone, I'm brown like a boxwood. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's so interesting that they chose a specific tree. Where are boxwoods native? Uh Southern Europe, Northern Africa, and Western Asia. There we go. Interesting. Our Definitely. hometown so as I was mentioning my brother with his stockings my family celebrates christmas uh cuz I wasn't always jewish i was born into a catholic family i went to catholic school my whole life um it wasn't until i was in my uh i was in university and actually i went to israel um i got a scholarship i was doing peace and conflict studies so i went to israel for a summer and experienced A lot of life-changing things there, and that's what started my journey to sort of exploring my own self and eventually led to me converting to Judaism years later. But what's interesting to me is that looking back on all the years I spent in Catholic school and going to church, by the way, because while my family wasn't religious, my father remarried a very Christian woman And so we started having to go to church every week. Um, And then when I was in high school, I started dating also a religious, a guy from a religious family. And I started going to church with him every week. So, uh, you know, I've been around the block in that sense. And not once do I ever remember Jesus being referred to as Jewish or in any Jewish context or Judaism really in any sense at Mm. all it was always like he was this renegade figure who shook up the establishment and the establishment was never it was never phrased as the Jews or Jewish it was just like the old order like it was always just the corrupt officials the corrupt representation of the religion
1: do they say Pharisees
3: though I, yes, Pharisees were definitely mentioned,
0: but what I don't know Pharisees? what that
1: meant. So the, the Pharisees are the Prushim. They are kind of like the forerunners of, of rabbinic Jews, because during the second Temple era, during the second Beta HaMikdash, the Jewish community was uh, fractured among lots of like sectarian lines. Um, and so there are different types of Jews. And remember, <clears throat> the Talmud says that the second Beta HaMikdash was destroyed because of Sinat because of this baseless hatred um, between Jews. And this kind of points to that. There are like different factions of Jews who did and believed in different things. And so the Prushim are one of them and they later become rabbinic Jews. And then you also have the Tzedukim, the Sadducees, and you have, who are the ones in in Qumran? Um, The Issyim, the, I don't know how to say that in English. I'm so sorry. But it's the E S S E N E S. I don't know how to say that because I went to day school, so <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Is it um, a theme? Yeah, maybe. That's like me. I always said Titus until like I once heard someone say Titus, and I was like, "Who is that?" Um, so day school, day yeshiva day school graduate here. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So when when they when Christians talk about the Pharisees, they I mean the Prussian. Who are jews uh and i remember when mel gibson's movie came out the passion of the christ and everyone was all the jews were like this is like classic christian anti-semitism and all the christians who love the movie were like it's not anti-semitic it's about the pharisees and it's like well <laughs>
2: would you exactly. say that those different groups that you're describing is it akin to today's like reform conservative orthodox meaning like sects but they all kind of still recognize that they're part of the same religion or did they genuinely see each other as being like different religions or different groups I think or is they it something- had a
1: similar identity right they're all like in the same place i don't know if like they thought about religions in the way that we think of it now that's true. Like that, right? You have a religious identity and a national identity. and a, Right. All Those things were not separate things. at all. But yeah. We're, like, we're like, when you say that, you're kind of like applying a very modern. Okay. Norm. um, I guess
2: my question is when the Christians came along, when the group that would then later become the Christians started to diverge from whatever other group was around, I'm wondering to what extent they were seen as this like fundamentally different thing or they were just like yeah there's this guy that guy the other guy nessia go pick me, pick me. so i have
3: a vivid memory i believe it was 5th grade it was 5th or 7th grade cuz i remember the classroom i remember exactly where i was sitting when we had this lesson and i vividly remember our teacher it was religion class and it was presented to us that early christians were persecuted and They were, uh, they had to like fight for their religion and their beliefs and they were persecuted by those around them. And again, it was never like those evil Jews, but, but I remember thinking like, wow, like Christians were like really victims, you know, like, like we just like couldn't have our beliefs and I literally never learned about like the crusades or anything like that. Like it was just not taught. And when I became (laughs) exposed to like the Jewish perspective, it just made me laugh so much that like the way that I was taught it was just so
0: what? Like, you know, and it stuck with me. Wow. They never mentioned the crusades? No, dude. What about in like when you later like like took, you know, world history, ancient civs? That was but that but that was that was in the context of world history for
3: sure. But I'm talking about when we were taught like the formative yeah building blocks of the religion. Yeah, they didn't the, connect those dots. There was it was like Judaism was left out of the conversation completely.
1: Maybe that's better though, right? Isn't that better than like little Catholic school children in America being taught that Jews are Christ killers? which right, is well, that's what, like, the, what they used to teach. I'm kind of wondering if
2: this is like, let's say you grew up in like the 80s, 90s, right? Well, born in yeah. the 80s, grew up in the 90s. So I'm wondering if this is sort of this Modern kind of progressive, almost view like version where they're trying to like cut out the awkward like oh they're you know what I mean because like the, the the technically what's in the belief system about Jews is not very good right so you can't really change it but you could just like de-emphasize it move away from it and just kind of like leave that stuff behind a closed door you know and just not go there maybe I don't know do you think that's the reason I hear that
3: I just wonder if like. Is this why so many young people now are so ahistorical?
0: That's interesting. If you have to choose between Jews killed God and supersessionism, we'll go with supersessionism because it's kind of less bad. Mm-hmm.
3: I, I remember I, was, I had this really good friend in university, and she was from an Irish Catholic family. And we somehow had, we were starting to talk, we had this conversation about Jesus and and him being Jewish, I have no idea how this conversation came about. And she said that once she had said something like this to her grandmother, and her grandmother was so deeply offended, and she was like, "You never say that again." Jesus was not a Jew, and it's like, but he literally was. Like, and she was telling me how that's like a, a very offensive thing to say oh, to some people. I'm
2: so confused because isn't that the basis of the
3: religion? So the thing is, Christianity is not, I can really only comment on what I grew up in with, which was Catholicism, but the way it was presented to me was that Christianity is about what's in your heart. So I suppose maybe once upon a time, Jesus was Jewish, but the second he decided to be the son of God or whatever, he was the leader of this new thing, which Hmm. is Christianity. Hmm. And, you know, not jewish anymore because don't it just matters what's in your heart right because you don't
0: remind someone that they're a convert you don't bring it's it so up. It's so funny because that's kind of i mean nessia
2: you can speak to this but like when we were thinking about even if you know we were talking about inviting you on as a guest because we were having this conversation offline and i was she was like let's bring Nessia on to talk about jesus and i was like aren't you not supposed to like put a convert on the spot and ask about their past
1: like it
0: was actually like, she'll okay? be it
1: and she's like it's fine <laughs> I have the same to... reservation, I have to say. Like, when Shira asks, you
3: stop, like, before you were Jewish, and I'm, like, die. No, I, it genuinely, genuinely, it doesn't bother me because I'm among friends. I've been put in very awkward positions at Shabbos tables, etc. I don't always love that. But genuinely, genu- genuinely, in these conversations, I, I like to talk about it. Because it is something that I do have a little bit of not insider but different knowledge on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a really unique
2: perspective knowing kind of both communities in an inside way. I feel like we need to make a PSA that like this doesn't mean that you should go to the convert in your life and just like grill them about the the, the theology of Christianity like that's not cool probably. Probably Shira, not. Yeah, go way back and there's you know they they have a it's they know it's okay. We have
0: a history and like
3: Ness is one also, of my best Shira. friends. Yeah, and also Shira has a particularly intrusive personality that <laughs> works well for her. <laughs> she Don't try to at home, guys. Exactly. She can pull off what the average mortal cannot.
2: <laughs> it's so funny though, Nessia, that you mentioned the crusades. Because I actually remember I had a really close friend at work who was Catholic, also Irish Catholic. And she, we used to compare like notes on our religions all the time and actually found it fascinating how many things we had in common. Um, But one thing that came up, I don't even remember why the Crusades came up in a conversation at work, but she brought up the Crusades as like this really cool, awesome thing that she was like, oh, this, this cool event from history, like the Crusades. And I was like, ooh, like, you know, as Jews, like we don't think of those as cool like those are like one of those the things when we list all the bad things that happened to us like the crusades are on that list like right next to the holocaust you know and she's like what do you mean why would the crusades be on that list and i was like because of all the slaughtering of jews she's like what do you mean it was about the conquering of jerusalem i don't know what you're talking about whoa and i said yeah but like most of the crusaders like didn't go to jerusalem most of them went to the next town over and killed the jews that were there and she's like, I don't think that's true. I'm going to Google it. That can't be right. And she looked it up and she was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and she felt terrible Absolutely. because she felt like she had been lied to. Who was in Jerusalem at the time? Mostly Muslims. Muslims. So a they, went a, like... they did. The Crusaders did take Jerusalem, right, Miriam?
1: Yeah, for like for like about a minute,
2: a few decades, I think. Saladin, right? Like they did take Jerusalem. Yeah. Was a, there was a period,
1: but yeah. The- but when they when the Crusades fail and they have like a few Crusades and like yeah. they they really don't succeed, they have the church has this whole new theology because they have to deal with the fact that they were not able to actually conquer and hold the real jerusalem Mm -hmm. and that's when they start talking about the heavenly jerusalem oh interesting and it's not like the jerusalem that's a real place but this like spiritual jerusalem so is that the point when they kind of give up on having like actual like political control over jerusalem they want they lose a whole bunch of campaigns and then richard the lionhearted gets kidnapped along the way back to england and they have to pay a ransom and the parliament has to and the king has to raise the money to pay the ransom and then that's why parliament is able to say well we want you to sign the magna carta and king john signs the magna carta do you guys remember this from like not even
2: not even i don't think i've day, ever heard this before in no my idea life I idea
0: what back you're up, talking about
2: back it up is this, the crusades are us? how we get the magna carta yeah is a story we don't know this i i saw oh. robin hood
1: I didn't also, prepare this
3: Alright, oh you should also so, say like what making... the Magna
2: Carta is because I don't think that's uh, like.
3: Miriam that unprepared is more knowledge than I've ever had in my life
0: <laughs> she's like hey, let me pull this out um, no, surely like, you will all know the story like, about
2: Richard the Lionheart
0: surely you know that time he was abducted. what I know about the crusades <laughs> is
2: from the, a movie with this guy I think like Orlando Bloom is in it
0: be without fear
2: in the face of your enemies safeguard the helpless even if it leads to your death that is your oath rise a night rise a night i was right kingdom of heaven it came out in 2005 and it does star orlando bloom see that's what that's the information that penetrates my memory good to my long-term memory movies starring orlando bloom is a large <laughs> file folder in Miriam's brain, there's real
0: history. We've got Lord of yeah. the Rings. We've got the Crusades. It's what? He in oh, that, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Orlando Bloom is in Lord of the Rings. He's Legolas. The ring must be destroyed. He's in Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: My name is Will Turner. My father was Bootstrap Bill Turner. His blood runs in my veins.
0: I've seen and, that. Okay, so there you go. And Kingdom Recently. of Heaven. And Kingdom of Heaven. I have not seen that. that. I don't
2: know okay. why I watched this, but I did, and he's in it. That's all I know about the Crusades. So why don't you tell us some actual information?
0: But I am curious about the Crusades. Muslims took over Jerusalem at some point, and then the Crusades came, and then Richard the Lionheart got kidnapped?
1: Yeah, Richard the Lionhearted is is kidnapped along the way. They have to pay this huge ransom. Uh, And so the monarchy in England doesn't have a lot of money, um, and they try to raise taxes. And so King John, who's the king at this point, is like, I need money, and the nobility is like, "Uh, well, we want something for the money that we're going to give you, and he signs the Magna Carta, which means the great document, um, the great charter, um, and it gives certain protections to aristocrats. It basically puts limitations on what kind of payments get made to the crown, and there has to be a council of aristocrats, of nobles, um to approve taxation and that's kind of the beginnings of parliament because remember this whole idea of no taxation without representation the roots of that are in the Magna Carta which King John was forced to sign because he needed money from the nobles because they had paid this huge ransom for Richard the Lionhearted and had no more money
2: and all because he went on a crusade to Jerusalem to kill the
1: infidels yeah yeah well who are the infidels people who are not Christian Jews Muslims Right. Because if you're going all the way to kill a bunch of Muslim infidels, but there's some infidels in your own right backyard door, like why right, so should that? sleep in the heat? Like, imagine you're wearing this armor in the desert like you can stay in France and just kill the Jews right there. I mean, it makes sense. Wait, for so that's
2: friend. how we get from crusades as this like political mission into crusades being just like a program, essentially, because it was more about this religious idea of getting rid of the infidel, basically.
1: Yeah, that's what it was. And spreading
3: Christianity, right? Right.
1: Yeah. What's funny is it's not it's not only Christians who think of the Crusades in that way, right? Like, just generally in the West. I remember after 9-11, um, George Bush gave a speech and he said something about, like, the war on terrorism, blah, blah, and he used the term Crusade. Do you guys mm-hmm. remember that? And, like, Muslims were super offended, obviously, and... And then to everyone's surprise, the Jews were also really upset about it. And it's like, why are you guys mad about this?
2: Well, people use the word crusade in in just casual conversation, right? Oh, she's on a crusade to declutter the house, you know, whatever. People use the word crusade commonly just to mean like a big mission. And it's kind of funny that it's become so neutralized like that. And it doesn't have, I think, I mean, I think some Jews still kind of bristle at it, but I think it's become much more neutral to a lot of people. And it doesn't have that connotation as much.
1: I think in the context of, like, George W. Bush declaring, like, a war on terror against radical Islamists. It's more loaded, it, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not, like, quite.
2: You can
3: understand why it felt like a callback.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Interesting. Okay, well,
2: this actually does connect to what we were talking about earlier. Because we are talking about the Crusaders briefly overtaking Jerusalem and having political control. Before that, it is various Muslim uh, caliphates, I guess. Um, afterwards, obviously being the Ottoman empire up until the British, it brings us back to this question of Jesus being a Palestinian, right? Because if you want to call someone a Palestinian, that means that the land that they lived on is not Palestine today, but was Palestine at the time that they lived on it, right? We wouldn't call a person who lived on my, the land where I live right now in New Jersey, if they lived there a thousand years ago, we would not call them a New Jerseyan, right? It's New Jersey today. It wasn't New Jersey then. So Miriam... A resident historian, if you could sort of walk us through what the land was, whose it was, and what the people on it, who the people on it were, were and what they were called on then, the very
0: first Christmas.
2: Yeah, the very first Christmas, Bethlehem, year zero, if they call it that. They looked around at each other and said, "Is it zero this year? <laughs> I can't believe it's already zero. It feels like minus one just started." Yeah, Miriam, if you, if you, I feel like this is the kind of thing you could pull out of your head.
1: I don't really know what to say other than they were Judeans and they were Jews. And then they meet the good Samaritan and he's a sh- Shomronim. Samaritan still exists.
0: I, I thought a good Samaritan is like someone who helps someone cross the street. No, like literally. You're going to need to no. dial it back and tell me what you're talking about. It's in the Bible.
1: the new, new Bible? Testament.
0: The Christian oh, Bible. go. New- yeah, that's why I don't one, know what baby? you're talking about. I never read the new one. I only I didn't read the reboot. The New Testament slaps like it's good.
1: <laughs> There's some really good stories. I'll add it to my list.
0: We're going to put a link in the show notes <laughs> or just go to a hotel and open the drawer. I always get confused when people talk about it because they're like, well, there was Luke and there was John. and then there was Paul and go. And I keep getting and yeah, Paul and I literally <laughs> yeah. just and, and then I start thinking about the Beatles. And then I'm and then everyone's like, well, no, that one was this year and then this one was that year. And then, no, none of this happened all at the same time. He's talking about this other thing that happened back then. And it's not now he's talking he's it's all actually a flashback and i i can't i can't i'm okay. like when does this take place it's like me watching the mandalorian When <laughs> is this?
1: these are imperial credits they still spin
2: i don't know if you heard but the empire is gone so jesus is born in a land called judea right in zero it is a sovereign State, I suppose, if it, that word would be used back then, not really. Yeah, the,
1: the the Jewish Commonwealth. Second Jewish Commonwealth? Commonwealth, okay. Right?
2: Yeah, would you call it a kingdom? Did it have a king? What it was the
1: Maccabees, king? Remember? Oh, the Maccabees were in charge then. The Hashmonaim. Oh no, because then the might get killed because, and then Herod is the king, and he basically kills all the Hashmonaim.
3: So
2: Jesus is born in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew is Beit right? Beit Lachem,
1: which is
3: today in where Rachel is buried. Yeah. Can I sing you the carol? Sure. Yes. We love a musical. We used to sing and it would go, long time ago in Bethlehem, so the Holy Bible says, Mary's poor child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. We shall sing a little king for today and we shall sing forevermore because of Christmas Day. <laughs> You're welcome.
2: Wow. Amazing. Amazing. So <laughs> interestingly... Jesus was actually, although he was born in Bethlehem, he wasn't from a family that was from there. He was, I guess, passing through. His family was actually Galilean. So they would have not been in what is modern-day Palestine anyway. So just putting that out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're from the Galilee, where we went to seminary. Yeah. So he actually would be from, like, northern Israel, technically um yeah, regardless the there was no such thing as palestine obviously well Africa. because
1: the the in in hebrew when you want to say christian you say notary right because right nazareth? yeah
2: jesus yeah. of nazareth like that is what people yeah. say, right that's not yeah. yeah that's not just a jewish thing that is you know obviously yeah. palestine did not exist this was a jewish country right this was a jewish nation in the way that anyone was a nation back then right that then becomes a roman state a roman place Eventually, it becomes a Muslim place, briefly a Christian one for a hot minute, as Miriam said, back into Muslim hands for a few hundred more years, then into the British hands, and then, of course, the state of Israel, right? That is, in a nutshell, the the, the transfer of political power in this piece of land. Throughout this time, my understanding is there are also... Other people living in this land. Even in the Judean days, there were non Jewish people living in that land, right? I don't think at any point there were ever no non Jewish people living there, right?
1: Yeah, correct. Because Sancher of Melchash, or I don't know how to say his name in English either, other than he was the king of Assyria, when he went around conquering different places, one of his kind of policies was to transfer populations. So to take right. groups of people from one place and move them somewhere else and then move other people. So when, when Sennacherib conquers the northern kingdom... And that is
2: the Assyrian king, right? All, yes.
1: Okay. Yeah, he right. Because there were two kingdoms during the first Beit HaMikdash, mm-hmm. Yemida and Israel, Israel and Judah. Um, And he takes the northern kingdom into exile. And that's where this whole idea of the 10 lost tribes comes from. He basically does like this whole population transfer and he moves these Jews out and he moves other people in. So... That's where the the Samaritans come from, the, the Shamronim, who still exist. So the Samaritans are basically another tribe,
2: non Jewish, whatever the religion may have been at the time. They were just like
1: another group of people that happened to live in that land. Yeah, they they like a lot. A lot of what they do is very similar to Judaism. It's really interesting. Uh, Stephen Fine from Yeshiva University has uh, done a lot of stuff on this, and I think he produced a documentary. Um about the Samaritans and a book. Um, so if anyone is interested in, in the community of Samaritans that exist today in Israel, check out Stephen Fine from Yeshiva University. Wait,
2: they still exist?
1: Yeah. Oh. They've gone hard
2: reason. So what are who are they? Like what, what they're their, their own thing? They don't belong to any yeah. other
1: religions. They're their own thing. Wow, I didn't
2: know that. That's fascinating. And so there are Christians, there are some number of Christians living in judea from the time of jesus followers of jesus a few hundred years after jesus dies is really when the religion kind of like catches on and blows up right um the emperor of rome converts to christianity and that's when it becomes like a big deal and not just like kind of a occulty a thing i don't mean it in the sense of like a cult but like in the sense of like a cult favorite
0: yeah um but like rocky horror picture show it's just a jump to
3: the left <laughs>
2: yeah exactly like it was underground it was cool it was hipster and then it became very basic and mainstream but but
1: they were they were um persecuted by the romans like when when nessia was talking about learning about how early christians were persecuted i mean they were persecuted by the romans that's a true thing not by the jews but they were
3: persecuted by the romans right but my point was the story doesn't end there
2: right then they become the dominant world power yeah. Um. Yeah. I once saw a comedian, I, be- I don't remember who it was, but he basically said, like, if you're going to choose what religion to follow based on which one you think is most likely to be true, if you're coming at it like totally neutral outside observer, right? And you're like, I want to pick a religion just in case God is real and I want to, like, get into his good graces, but I don't know which one is real. If you were looking around the world and trying to decide for yourself which religion was real, you'd have to go with Christianity because they're clearly the winners. They're clearly the ones that God chose to, like, succeed and do well and like win and the number of Christians in the world and the number of countries that are Christian in the world and the number of like people of different ethnicities and backgrounds, literally everywhere in the entire globe that are Christian. He's like, listen, just on like a pure numbers, statistical basis, you'd have to conclude that if God loves any one religion, it's the Christians.
1: The Christians won.
2: They're the winners. So act accordingly
1: congratulate christians when you meet them because they won the world
2: and i always thought that was funny because as jews we have such an identity as like chosen people right and it's almost like this paradox because it's like chosen for what god
1: chosen for what (laughs) Uh i think kevya has a song no i
2: know i know we are the chosen people But once
1: in a while, can't
2: you
0: choose someone else?
2: Yeah. So what I was saying is that throughout this period, throughout this long history of the land that is called Judea, then the land that is called Palestine, changing hands, there are always Christians living there, right? Yeah. There's there's a historical presence of Christians. I mean, if you go to the old city today. I mean, it was under
1: Byzantine rule for a long time until it was conquered by the Arabs. And the Byzantines were Christian, right? I
0: think the I think the conversation about the oppressed becoming the oppressor is is a difficult one right now. Like, they were well, it's really and interesting how
2: being oppressed for your faith is so embedded in. I, I think my understanding from what I see is really embedded in a lot of Christian communities, even though like it hasn't really been a problem for them in a really long time. But they're sort of still like looking out for it there was Mm -hmm. a trend a couple years ago on social media of like christians kind of trying to show their faith by doing these like kind of like play acting a scenario in which someone's like putting a gun to their head and is like renounce god or you die and it's like they were like they'll like sit there with tears streaming down their face and being like i'd rather die than turn my back on god Mm -hmm. and they were sort of like doing these like skits of play acting at Cyrus nefesh skit it was. And they would have like a specific song that they would play and they would cry. And the idea was to try to imagine yourself. And actually people were talking about this at the time that in some of these like evangelical Christian schools, they will ask children to imagine themselves being asked to martyr themselves. And put yourself in that, like you imagine it was happening to you, try to make it feel real. And that was like a big thing in their religious education uh, was to imagine themselves being oppressed for their religion and being asked to die for it. And the idea that you have to like feel like you'd be willing to do it, right? And I couldn't help but feel at the time that, like, you – when you have to literally imagine your enemies because they don't exist, (laughs) in reality, there aren't – they aren't there. If anything, the enemies of Christianity today are, like, atheism or just, like, people not really caring about religion or whatever. There's no one standing there with the actual gun to their head, right? Holiday greetings. Right. Or, right, having to hear season's greetings instead of Merry Christmas. Like, that's – um, but it's still baked in somewhere. Somewhere in the religion, there is something baked in about like
0: being oppressed. That like somehow I guess hasn't. I don't know. Interesting. I think that's. I mean, that doesn't not come from Judaism. Every Yom Kippur we say Shema and we think about dying. True. That's the. I mean, every Yom Kippur you say but not,
3: but not in in the in a framework of persecution. We think about. We think about our mortality. Right.
0: No, I'm saying specifically on Yom Kippur, the Shalah HaKodesh said that when you say the Shema at the end of Yom Kippur and Neela, you should think about dying al-Masiris Nefesh. And it should be for that year as if you had done so. But we only well, do it once a year. Well,
3: I have never had that, Kibana.
0: <laughs> <laughs> didn't he Didn't he experience the, the Kazakhs? I don't know. He's actually, I'm <laughs> descendant from him, but I don't, I, probably. He also said not to eat turkey.
1: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he experienced the Kazakh uprising, which was like one of the most brutal massacres of Jews in Eastern Europe. Like,
0: Okay, so we actually did a fact check on this. The Shalaha Kodesh actually lived through the Fetmilch uprising of 1614. It took place in Germany, and it this is from Wikipedia. It culminated in the pillaging of the Frankfurter ugengass jewish quarter and the expulsion of frankfurt's entire jewish population the worst outbreak of anti-semitism in germany between the 14th century and the 1930s so that is what the shalaha kodesh lived through when he says that like that happened
2: to him you know what i mean it wasn't theoretical yeah yeah these weren't invented enemies like jews have not had to invent enemies we've always had real ones you know, um, it's funny.
0: I actually never felt like we did in my lifetime until basically two months ago. No. Yeah, that's true. I've always, I mean, because I didn't, I've never lived in Israel. And when I was in Israel, I felt safe. And I have never felt unsafe in America, really. Like, I mean, there were always armed guards at my school and armed guards at my kids' schools, but I never, I never really ac- actively felt unsafe or worried. I always had this thing in the back of my head of like, okay, how would we escape? How would we escape? But I always felt like that was like a generational trauma mess. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, wait, but actually, like now I actually have feelings of, of being unsafe. And when someone says happy Hanukkah, because they see the Jewish star in my neck, I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. Like, it means so much to me just to see that someone is not making me feel actively unsafe. It's a weird time. Anyway. Do you guys do all the simonim on
1: Rosh Hashanah? No. Okay. So my family does all the simonim and it's basically, it, you you eat different kinds of foods and the and then you say you hear on the different kinds of foods and they're they're all puns like different like hopes and prayers for the year but they're puns based on the foods and like every single one of them is like god should defeat our enemies and god should destroy our enemies and god should destroy the people who want our bad and every year when we do this it's like wow Jews for a very long time, we're very concerned with enemies. And here we are in America with no enemies. Wow. Yay for us. This is kind of like a historical uh, ritual, but it doesn't necessarily feel very, I mean, I have lots of things I pray for on Rosh Hashanah. I don't know that I'm like concerned about my enemies. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, we have enemies. Please, God, destroy our enemies, you know? Okay, so this actually reminds
2: me about something that's been bothering me for a while right now, right? We're seeing this surge of anti-Semitism in America, and it's coming from, I don't even want to use the words the left, because I feel like those terms kind of don't really apply in this situation the way you might think, but it's coming from corners of the society that really pride themselves on tolerance, on open-mindedness, on not being prejudiced and bigoted, um, and on really specifically on being aware of the subconscious ways that bias can creep into our your mentality, even if you are you yourself are not a bigoted person, but that historically there have been subjugated groups of people and the people from the oppressor class, the people from the majority group have sort of grown up around negative views of those people whether they like to or not whether it's we're talking about black people whether we're talking about other sort of oppressed classes or oppressed minorities in american history native americans whatever and there was like this i i think like underlying philosophy right that you as a person who belongs to the majority group are going to have some subconscious negative feelings towards that small minority group Whether you like it or not. And you kind of have to acknowledge that, explore it, understand it in order to root it out in yourself and in your behavior. Right. And that's kind of like an underlying philosophy of like progressivism in general, liberal, whatever you want to call it. Right. And something that's really frustrating for me right now, seeing this rise in anti Semitism, that we like, we know it when we see it, we know it when we feel it. Right. Is that these are the people who have always said that to be the case. Right. There are also, many of them, from Christian homes, from Christian backgrounds, whether they're currently actively practicing or not. And it's so frustrating. We just talked about literally 2,000 years of Christian and Jewish relationships, bad relationships, right? Like 2,000 years of the problems between the Christians and Jewish community. The Nacht, where they couldn't go out of their homes for fear of a pogrom, the Crusades, right? We talked about 2,000 years where there was this, really bad relationship. And those people who are in America today, who are progressive, who are open-minded, forward-thinking, it's frustrating to me that they don't stop and say, you know, I am still descended from thousands of years of bias against this group of people. It's going to be in me whether I like it or not. There's going to be subconscious associations tropes, right? stories, um, assumptions that I would make, the same way a white person is supposed to think about the subconscious assumptions they have about a Black person in America or about an immigrant or an abled person has subconscious bias towards a disabled person. It's baffling to me that a person of Christian background, a person of Christian heritage, won't stop and say, Maybe the two thousand years that my people have hated the Jews and persecuted them isn't rubbing off on me in some way. Maybe the pastor in the church of my childhood, maybe the stories my grandmother told were tinged with something that I don't consciously recognize as anti-Semitism. but it has been it's been in my people for so long. it's not it hasn't disappeared the same way racism didn't disappear and all the other kinds of bigotry that the modern you know, tolerant movement is supposed to be fighting against those. We know that those things don't disappear. Why does that mentality not show up when it comes to the Jews? That was a TED talk. I'm sorry about that. No, I thought that was really good, actually. So, you know, it was meant to be a real question. Like, why is that?
1: You know what that reminds me of, Dvorila? Every time I'm teaching about some story and then there's and then there was this violent outbreak and that violent outbreak against the Jews, and they killed the Jews here, and they killed the Jews there. I have this one student, she sits in the front, and she always asks me, but professor, why do they hate us so much? Why do you hate us so much? Why do they hate us? I teach in a, a Jewish school, by the way, a Jewish university. Um, you can probably guess which one. Uh, and and uh, honestly, I don't know what to tell her, because I I teach history. So I don't have a historical answer for her question, she has a, i don't even know like a metaphysical question a a spiritual question she's she's seeking to understand something um that i don't have an answer to and i i i, I don't have i mean maybe there is like a psychological answer here or a sociological answer here or a historical answer here but i i don't actually have an answer for like why people hate other people like why do we do bad things to each other i I don't know, at a certain point, this has nothing to do with history in it. And it 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 has to do with the, maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the one with the with the spiritual questions. Um, and so I assume everyone else is also having spiritual questions.
0: Well, there is there is social psychology stuff about in-group and out-group dynamics. And I don't, think, my, I, I don't think that's experiment. what my student is thinking about. Right. Like No, I, I don't it's maybe not but it doesn't mean that it's not relevant to the conversation right when people are different than other people they and they are told that those other people are bad in some way the blue eyed brown eyed experiment it it's right. it's it just it just happens people take care of the people who are them who are their own and they do not have the inclination to stand up for the other guy that's humanity Unfortunately, right. a lot. And it's creepy. And it's it's weird to me how ingrained anti-Semitism is in so many people in such a subversive way. It's different than other kinds of racism. It looks different. It sounds mm-hmm. different. It's excused in different ways. It's explained away in different ways. And it seems to be very deep-seated for a lot of people, but like unbeknownst to them. And that's what's surprising to me. It's it's kind of like it's almost secret and so secret that I didn't even realize how pervasive it was until very, very recently because I basically was just like living in major cities and doing my thing and fine and not everyone. And is so you're proud. in
3: a Jewish bubble.
0: And I'm in a Jewish bubble. And but even when I wasn't living in such a Jewish bubble growing up, I still I never I never felt i don't know i never really experienced anything and but now to see kind of to see like oh well this is actually what's in people's hearts it's it's terrifying and thankfully i haven't really experienced it i haven't experienced it like irl but if i go on social media and i look at links people are sending and i look at things that people are posting i'm horrified and i have to just stay off it a lot because it's so disturbing and so upsetting and so scary And, I mean, I said to my husband this morning, I was like, at what point do we have to leave America? Because I started thinking about Europe and I started thinking about the Holocaust and I started thinking about my ancestors and I started thinking about people in my family who knew when to leave and didn't. And I started thinking, like, when do we go? Like, at what point do we need to head out? At at what point does does that little anxious voice in my head need to be heard? And and we talked about it and it's, it's a talk that people are having and it's, um, and, and he was saying when the government starts not protecting us. Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a good answer. And I was saying, well, what about, you know, but what, what about when that happens to, and he was saying, well, in Poland, it happened overnight because Germany took over Poland and they had been building laws for a long time, Mm -hmm. but then when they took over Poland, laws changed overnight. And so that's why Jews in Poland were like, so so not okay there was really no warning um but he was like you know we don't have a country right next door who's just gonna like hop in and change things overnight we will kind of have if if something like that were to happen there would likely be some some sense of something and we could we could hop out and go to israel but like that's why we need israel this still this is this is an active conversation in my life right now was this after Um, you shared that tweet with
3: us this one it's uh, at Howard underscore Lovey. I have studied and written about anti-Semitism all my life, so I don't say this lightly or without knowledge and background. We have reached potential pogrom-level anti-Jewish hatred in the United States. We all should be on our guard. It will get violent.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it was after. I woke up this morning and I'm like looking at my phone and my screen is, you know, waking up my eyes. And that's like one of the things I wake up to. And I was like, earwit, earwit. <laughs> like, yeah, and that was—I was like, "This is what I woke up to." Let's maybe have a conversation.
2: Um, Who is that guy? We should probably Google him to see like, if just he, he because knows what he said
0: it. About. Right. Okay. So here's another fact check. Howard Lovie is a journalist, book editor, podcaster, memoirist, and he is the multimedia manager at the Alliance of Independent Authors. We will put his website in the show notes.
2: I, I think the reason we all reacted to it is because it does confirm. It conforms with what we've been noticing and feeling. I can say I'm someone who's very online, as they say, I'm on all the social media things. The types of comments that used to get shouted down and were like outside the Overton window were completely out, you know, outside the pale are not anymore. The kind of conversations that you see people having very often, people won't use the word Jew, right? But they'll have a whole conversation about the Jews using just, like, a blank line to represent two or something like that, right? So, like, it is it is just below the surface in, like, the most barely concealed way. Kanye West, who thankfully has been kind of rejected by most of polite society at this point, but he went on a rant just the other day where he said, it's Jesus, Hitler, and Yay, meaning Kanye. Uh, and then he talked about how, specifically how black people are faring in america and how he feels there's all these problems in the black community prison and abortion being the things he called out as like the problems um and to be clear he's not wrong about the the incarceration rate but um he said why are there so many abortions um, in black families because of the hospitals and who built the hospitals the jews
0: wow Meanwhile, Jews built. Jewish I mean, but the men who weren't allowed to be doctors. And other, but he has,
2: here's the thing: he's wackadoodle. He is. I mean, to be to be clear, he is he's mentally ill, which does not mean that he has to be bigoted. Those are two separate things. But I think his mental illness prevents him from keeping his bigotry to himself. Uh, but. He has, first of all, has followers, but also he is not alone in those bigoted thoughts. I think he lacks the filter to not say them in a public setting because of his mental illness, but he is not the only one to have these thoughts. These conversations are happening all over the internet right now in so many
1: corners.
3: He wasn't speaking those thoughts to a silent room. Right. He was speaking them to applause and cheers.
1: Yeah. Wow, I really like my non-online
2: life. Um, yeah, it's good. You should you should stay there. It's cooler. You should continue reading your books. Like it's way better. Than- <laughs> I
1: I actually I have not been on. I never had Instagram. I I never really liked the platform. I was never on there. I'm a very elder millennial. Uh, in my age, but also like you know, my outlook. <laughs> and uh, so I've been on Facebook since I was like 18 years old, and that's still kind of just where I am. I never got on Snapchat, I never got on Instagram. And with this war, I was like, oh, I kind of I kind of want to know what's going on. Like maybe I need to get on Instagram. That terrible idea. I deleted that right away off my phone. That was a very bad, no good idea. Uh and I was talking about it with my therapist, um, actually. Uh I felt like I've had to go back more frequently to therapy because of all this. Like, I was going for personal stuff, as one does, and I'd kind of, you know, kind of lessened it to every two weeks. And all of a sudden, it was like, no, I need to go every week because I need, like, a place to.
0: Yeah. Um, Yay, therapy.
1: So I was talking about it with my therapist. Now I feel like Woody Allen. Anne tells us that you've been seeing a psychiatrist for 15 years. Yes, I'm making excellent progress.
2: Pretty soon when I lie down on his couch, I won't have to wear the lobster bib.
1: Um, so I'm just a neurotic Jew. I'm not even a neurotic Jew. I am a New York <laughs> Jew, but I'm not neurotic. Anyway, even though I go to therapy. uh, So I was talking about it with her, about what kind of, you know, how to manage all these, like, very, very I- immense feelings and we're talking about, like, boundaries that we could put. Obviously, it is not a, a reasonable boundary to say don't look at the news. Like, that is just not going to happen, right? I, I look at the news obsessively. So our boundary was not to look at my phone first thing in the morning. So now, when I wake up in the morning, I say moja'ani, which I was not always great at doing. But now I say Mojani every morning because I am so grateful to be alive. Aww. I really am. And I say Mojani, and I have, like, this... Two minutes to just. I woke up. Thank you for my soul, and now I'm gonna check my phone. Literally, that's all it is. It's like I say Modani before I check my phone to see all the bad things that happened. Um, why were we
3: talking about this? That's yeah, really I that. nice. I, I, I really like. Much.
0: that. I'm gonna do that tomorrow. I'm making a hachlacha. That's really beautiful. Yeah,
3: yeah. I really that like that. That is a lot. beautiful.
0: I really like that.
3: I just. I wanted to say, you know, DeVarley, when you were talking about kind of biases coming up it really stuck with me because that was something that I noticed in my process I don't remember people around me having a lot of opinions about Jews ever until I expressed an interest in conversion and then it was a lot of them. <laughs> and I was very surprised by that. And it sometimes still happens to me and we had I had an experience recently and a couple days later my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, "Hey, did that comment that person made kind of strike you as a little off?" And I was like, "Yeah, it did." And They have no idea. Like, literally, you can tell with the way that they're saying it. They don't have any idea that they are being (laughs) anti Like, like none. None, none, none. And it's just, it's like baked in the way that people speak. Like, just in the language. And uh, I don't even know. It was the way that it was said and it was like such a superfluous detail and it was like the you know yeah it's very bizarre the way that it was said but nobody at the table had any reaction to it and it was just like duh and my husband and i after were like that was weird (laughs) i used to i used to kind of like
2: not i don't know like i couldn't Except like this idea that anti-Semitism is sort of baked into our culture the same way racism, like anti-black racism is. I used to kind of laugh it off and say that like Jews are being like too paranoid, too obsessive, looking for something that wasn't there. Like I remember reading something a while ago about how the Brothers Grimm fairy tales are quite anti-Semitic and have a lot of anti-Semitic tropes. And a lot of the Disney stories are based on the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. So they scooped up a lot of those tropes without even necessarily noticing um the one that this particular article talked about was the the rapunzel story which is the disney movie tangled so it's this blonde princess right who gets stolen by this witch and the witch google her if you don't remember what she looks like she's got a big nose and long dark curly hair and a darker tan complexion and she's like a boxwood tree Like a boxwood tree. And she steals this beautiful blonde baby for her nefarious purposes, right? And And then they said, look at how many villains, Disney villains, have hooked noses or big noses, have dark hair. Even just the general like conception of like blonde being this, you know, the princess, the, the good girl. Dark hair, curly hair, darker skin, like all those things that are just like these very classic tropes. They're there for a reason. They came from something and they're baked in in a way that no one would consciously notice or think about, but they get absorbed anyway. And that's the part I think people are not dealing with or or acknowledging.
0: And not protecting. I mean, no one's like, there's no sense that people... There is not a lot of non-Jews standing up for Jews and seeing things and saying, wait, that's not okay. You can't say that. That's anti-Semitic. That's racist. You can't say that. We're not seeing that a lot. We're not seeing a lot of people marching for and with Jewish people right now. A friend of mine posted that uh, there are so few people who aren't Jewish that stand up for Jewish people that each one of them gets a special tree planted for them in Israel, <laughs> like we have a special name for them—righteous gentiles—and they e- And each of them gets a special tree. That's how few there are. It's 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 a little it's a little frightening that there's not a well, sense yeah. of like, I don't know.
3: It came up in our chat when today when when someone was like, "Yeah, what's Fetterman's deal?" That's the right. name, right? Yeah, John
2: Fetterman, uh, senator from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Has been a really staunch supporter of Israel, and and really, and people are kind of surprised by it. Where even I'm not even getting into the political, like the like the topic of Israel and you know what should Israel be doing and all of that, but just his like human, like seeing Jewish people and Jewish suffering as real and taking it seriously. People are almost like, what's the backstory? What's what's going on here? Like they're almost we're almost like we don't trust it. I think.
0: Hmm. It's like it's suspicious. Yeah. It's very
2: sus. Yeah, it confuses us a little bit. Not to mention, and this kind of goes back actually it's to the TikTok.
0: Let's not like past
1: aspersions. No, 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 no I'm just, not saying I don't it think is it's suspicious. suspicious. I'm saying, I'm saying that, that uh, people okay. are
0: looking at a non-Jewish person standing up for Jews and saying that's sus. It's like, no, that's good. Right. I'm saying that people who are upset at Fetterman
2: for supporting Israel are looking not just at his opinions about Israel's. Be, you know actions, but they're even looking at him like expressing human connection with Jewish suffering as being suspicious. Like people are bothered by that, even like you know, even just on like a human to human level. And this actually brings me back to what the the TikTok that we played at the very beginning, where the woman was saying, uh, you know, Jesus was a Palestinian, which we've we've covered exhaustively at this point. But the the audience that she's addressing there are Christian Zionists, right? Christians who support Israel as a state because they have this belief that the Jews will all go to Israel, be in the land of Israel. And that will somehow trigger like the second coming of Jesus. And that's like a, a thing that they believe will happen. And that's like the next phase of, of their Christian theology or whatever. Right. So those are Christians and the number of people who subscribe to this ideology apparently is enormous. Like there are more Christian Zionists apparently than there are Jews. Um. And they are Zionists while also being kind of anti-Semitic, right? Which is a weird combination. They support the state of Israel, but not because they care about the fate of Jews. They, in fact, in this ideology that they have, part of the one stage along the way is the part where all the Jews die, and that's that's why they support the state of Israel to hasten that event. Now, some Jews say. I don't care. That's why they support the state of Israel. I don't believe in their ideology. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I'll take I'll take the support if they're offering it. Right? We'll take what we can get. We'll take what we can get. Right? Like I don't care that they believe. It's like the same way, you know. People will take you know matzah and they're like, I don't know what you believe it is. To me, it's a cracker. Right? Like they don't. If you don't have the religious faith, it doesn't. You know. But I don't know. That's always struck me in a very weird way. Like it doesn't feel like a real a real alliance. And an alliance can't be based on. I believe that I'm helping you so that you can die faster. Yeah. I don't know what do you guys think.
3: I'm so helping think. you so I get what I want.
0: Right. Yeah. It's not altruistic.
3: Yeah. It's really the opposite.
0: That's I'm always cool. made
3: me deeply, deeply uncomfortable.
2: Was that um, an ideology that you ever encountered?
3: I yes. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was. I know people who are deeply Christian and learning hebrew and learning hebrew prayers and it makes me really uncomfortable very very deeply uncomfortable and i've i've never pressed these people on their views because i don't i don't want to probe to see where it goes i'm not interested in 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 hearing what their end game is so i just stay far away
2: Yeah, that's fair. I think that's probably the best choice. I think it's weird as American Jews to see those people as our allies. That feels very, very strange to me. And I get that there's like a safety in numbers and we don't have the numbers, but it still just doesn't feel right.
3: Absolutely not. Not to me.
1: I think the part for me that's very uncomfortable with it is, I mean, you can think and care about whatever you want in terms of like the eschatological end of the world. I don't Subscribe to your beliefs. So whatever, Um, in the United States, we fall out on different sides of various cultural issues. I think most importantly is is reproduction and and women's rights around reproduction, and these things are not neutral. and And I think it's a matter of pekuach nefesh, simply like women's Lives are on the line when they cannot access certain kinds of reproductive care when women, you know, when a woman's life is in danger or her health is in danger by a pregnancy. and then those same people who purport to be our friends are pushing for either limited or zero access to medical care um, because of their theological reasons. That are in opposition to our own values these people are not our friends we don't want to be their friends these are not our values these threaten the lives of women so we need to be very careful about who we get into bed with i understand that look i'm not a purist um i don't think that you need to agree with everybody to work on with them on a certain issue i think We can make common cause with people on one issue and then, you know, discuss things or vote at the ballot box on other issues. But we need to be very clear-eyed about where we do agree and where we do not agree. And we shouldn't assume that just because we might have common goals in one area that we have them in in another area. And we we really, really need to be very clear-eyed about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this brings us back to where we started with the Nittelnacht. Like Jews for hundreds or really thousands of years had a real fear of Christians, right? And they saw them, the European Jews, of course, I'm not talking about Sephardi uh, Jews, but European Ashkenazi Jews really saw Christianity as pretty much their biggest enemy, their biggest danger to their lives, right? To the point where Christmas was seen as the most dangerous day of the year. It was the dark night, right? Jesus was the demon. They really, really feared Christians for very good reason. I mean, Sparty I, I, Jews
1: too, they were all expelled from Spain. And... Right?
2: Oh, that's true. That's, yeah, the name Farad comes from the Hebrew word for Spain because they were expelled from Spain, my my ancestors among them. Um, And it's so ironic to me that we've reached a place right now in America because religious observance altogether is on the decline that the remaining people who are traditional and observant in whatever their faith is feel like they have more in common with other traditionally observant people than they do with members of their own religion who are not as observant or as traditional whether that's a traditional you know christian who does things in a very you know i don't know what the terms they use but the ways you know the old school ways looking at a very progressive, new age type Christian and saying, like, we are not the same, orthodox Jew, looking at a non-orthodox Jew and saying we are not the same, but then turning to the person of the other faith. And I think it's totally, there's something nice about that, that we can recognize how religions overlap and we have similar traditions or whatever. But there's also something very sinister to me that we are sort of turning our backs on thousands of years of our ancestors and their fear and their really well-grounded suspicion in these other religions and just being like yeah like we're we're super old school we're we have a patriarchal society and do lots of traditions and have all these values like let's be friends now and there's more and more of that I think we're seeing in the Jewish community in the Orthodox community. And it really makes me nervous. Like, we don't see eye to eye. They don't have our backs. They've spent thousands of years persecuting us. I'm not so
0: quick to believe that that's completely over. Yeah. And then it gets weird because you see people who purport to be really progressive and they're agreeing with things that David Duke is saying, which is like, what? What is happening in the world right now? It's like, it's really coming at us. From all sides. When I saw the movie Black Klansmen with three Ks, three K's, I didn't even know that the KKK was so anti-Semitic, that that was like one of the foundational things of the KKK, that it wasn't just about racism and hating Black people in America. It was also about hating Jews. I didn't even know that. That's like, that's how secret anti-Semitism is and how like unaware I don't know.
2: Everything. There's a Broadway show that is was on Broadway uh, last year that is incredible if anyone has the opportunity to see it in any way. It's called Parade and it's about a man, a Jewish man who was lynched in the 1920s in Georgia. And it's a true story. It's absolutely it's done really beautifully in the in the in the play.
1: It's hard to speak my heart. Not a man who bears his soul.
2: But I did not know that that happened. And I didn't know that it was even like, it was just not even on my radar that something like that would have ever happened. Like, I kind of thought the worst thing that ever happened was like a Jew got fired from their job or someone asked them if they had horns. Like, I really thought America was the land that didn't have anti Semitism. And I was wrong. Did you didn't
1: know that story?
2: No, I never heard of it before
0: in my life. We learn a lot from Broadway.
1: I don't know, I feel like I just always knew the story of Leo Frank and how he was lynched.
0: Some of us learn history
2: from Broadway. I learned my American history from Hamilton and I learned my Jewish history
0: from Fiddler on the Roof. When I was a little kid, I remember my mom was telling me the story of my grandfather in Nazi Austria and how he escaped and came to America and our family came to America after he was in a Nazi prison and et cetera, et cetera. And after she told me the story, I think I was around three or four years old, I said to her, I saw that movie, Hitler on the Roof. And then just... I thought you were gonna say you thought you were a von Trapp. No, who, by the way, there's there is documentation that they were Jewish, by the way, which is, I think, fascinating. But like, that's why the captain was so not into being a Nazi is because he mm. was actually Jewish.
1: Adelweiss, Adelweiss, every morning
0: you greet me.
3: But Maria would send that to me.
0: But what? And he married a nun? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't like from. <laughs> Neither was she, apparently. Yeah.
3: You need to send she that was to a
0: me. a problem, though. I'll find it. <laughs> How do you solve a problem like Maria?
1: How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down?
0: A Jewish women's theater company in L.A. just did The Sound of Music, and I went to see it with my daughters. And the show started with the nuns song. And it was so beautiful. I just started crying. And the whole show is about, like, I mean, it's it's about Nazis and Jewish women are but doing the whole thing. and I just kept crying, but I especially kept crying when the nuns were singing. And I was like, I don't think I've ever cried at church music before, but <laughs> here we are.
1: I do I do want to say I, I also saw the the show Parade this summer, and it was really excellent. If you want to know how do you write a musical about the lynching of a Jew, Someone did it and did a phenomenal job. It was really good. And Ben Platt plays Leo Frank. Um, really phenomenal. Uh, there's one scene, it's the climax. Um, I went with someone, I I barely even know, like I saw her at a Shabbat lunch and I was like, I want to go see this. And she was like, me too. So we made arrangements and we went and we were literally holding one another in our arms and sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. It was... Very, very intense.
2: And on the opening night of that show, and remember, this was a year ago, right? So this is before the current wave of stuff going on in the world. The opening night of that show, they were protested by Nazis. People showed up to protest that show in New York City like a year ago. So that should have been a red flag. And we kind of laughed it off as like, oh, these are stupid online trolls. Like,
0: we don't have to take them seriously. And that's where I get nervous about putting my head in the sand about social media. And I'm like, okay, well, even if I can't look at it all the time, I have to like say mo Ani and then maybe look at it because I don't know how, I know the voices are loud on social media, but I don't, I don't know what that means for the real world. Right. And it's, uh, yeah. Well,
2: it's those moments where it jumps off the screen and into the real world that make you realize it's yeah. the it's the graffiti. It's the broken windows. It's the bomb threats. Yeah. It's you know those things. Even before we get to the point, and obviously I hope we never do, of an actual attack, there are there are already signs of things that are not online. Right? Graffiti yeah. on a show is not an online troll. That's no. a real, real person, right? That's well, someone. Went to, someone went to Walmart and bought spray paint for that, right?
0: Yeah, and the red paint at Indigo Books in Canada. And our friend's Jewish...
3: school being closed down because yeah, her That's... toddler's preschool was shot at. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There was a Jewish. Man Remember who we said we weren't going to talk about depressing stuff. Yeah, this was going to be a light episode about Christmas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Christmas spirit. Turns out, the Christmas spirit is
0: so. On the topic of the Christmas spirit, oh, I wasn't going
2: to bring this up, but we were talking about the pervasiveness of Christmas. I took my kids to Sesame Place, the Sesame Street theme park in Pennsylvania, a couple weeks ago because we had, like, tickets we needed to use before the end of the year, and they have, like, the holiday is spectacular. Silly me, I thought – I mean, again, so I thought that it would be kind of generic, holiday season, winter, snowflakes, right, with, like, a little Christmas sprinkle maybe. And to my surprise, not only was it, like – Fully and one hundred percent Christmas themed. It was like bordering on religion, like bordering on a religious feel to it. Like they were playing actual carols on the loudspeaker, and everything was like ultra Christmassy. Aww. Um, they had like a little show for the kids, and they were asking kids like, "What does Christmas mean to you?" And they talked about like the three wise men and like all these things. And my six-year-old turns to me and goes, "Goes, what does Christmas mean to me? Nothing. I'm Jewish."
0: Was there like an Elmo <laughs> nativity scene? Okay, my husband was like, "Are we going to see
2: Elmo on the cross?" <laughs> <laughs> that image stuck with me for the rest of the day. <laughs> oh God! But like all the, it was just, oh. it was, it was so much more of a religious vibe. And I don't think that a regular kind of secular American would have necessarily perceived it that way. But I did. Like even a mention of like the three wise men, they didn't use the word Jesus. Interestingly, but like the really like. They got really specific about Christmas in a way that I found really surprising and like not inclusive at all. At one point, they played Dreidel, Dreidel for like thirty seconds, and that was it. I was I was kind of shocked actually, like in a twenty first century America, that
0: there wouldn't be like a nod towards like other people, you know. I wonder if it had been in New York, where Sesame Street is supposed to be, instead right. of Pennsylvania, if maybe it would have been it would have been different, like. the original bodega if sesame street wasn't so gentrified yeah exactly like my kids wanted to do that thing where you take a picture
2: with the characters but literally all the characters were wearing like full like cookie monster was santa like they were all like so themed that i was always almost like "Mm." we found like one like yeti that i was like okay that's like winter we could do that
0: (laughs) but it's really it's everywhere it's like it's i don't know maybe we can uh maybe we can release on christmas eve and it'll be, yeah. really be dramatic watching. it will be called the nitel nacht episode it will give Nittlnacht people
2: something to do on it so they can listen to that instead of learning torah
0: yeah <laughs> I, we hope friends. you enjoy listening to this we episode will put that in the show instead of learning torah instead of learning torah you can listen to this episode and uh maybe read the new testament
1: <laughs> don't do that
0: so that's our episode it went in a lot of directions that we weren't really expecting. And then the next day, there were some thoughts that came through via voice notes that I am going to stick at the end here. And if you had any thoughts, please feel free to get in touch with us. We are on Instagram at voice.notes.podcast. Send us a voice note. Maybe we'll uh, stick it in the next episode.
2: I hope it's okay that I'm leaving a voice note after all it is the name of the podcast. Um I just had some more thoughts after we got off uh, a recording session. I just kept thinking about like how all the ideas that we talked about fit together and it's sort of along the lines of what I was talking about earlier but I think there's sort of more to it than that. I kind of wanted to run through it and see what you guys think and maybe we could tackle this at a later date. So we were talking about how 2,000 years of Christian anti-Semitism are going to leave a mark on people, the descendants of those people, whether they're aware of it or not, right? It's baked into the tropes. It's in assumptions about money, assumptions about influence, about Jews. It's in the Disney villains, right? It's just like baked into our society. Similar, analogous to the way that racism is baked into our society and our language and stereotypes and pop culture. Um, And, you know, one big uh, thesis of the anti-racism movement was that the hundreds of years of American institutional racism leave a mark on individuals, even if they're unaware of it. And my, I think, reasonable argument is that 2,000 years of Christian anti-Semitism will do the same, right? But then I realized what Nessia said, that she did not grow up with much of an under... They just didn't talk about Jews much, right? Like The Christian education about what Christianity is, who Jesus is, the origins of Christianity, they kind of just cut out the Jewish element, right? They kind of just like left that really blurry in the background. And we kind of speculated that that might be because it is sort of inherently anti-Semitic and that sort of fell out of favor in recent decades for good reason. But instead of saying, you know what, this is the origin, however, the anti-Semitic element of it is really not okay, they just kind of like erased that and left it, you know, unexplained, So they're trying to avoid continuing it, they're trying to avoid perpetuating it, but they're also wiping the memory of it, and I think that has negative effects as well. And it leaves the descendants of that legacy really unable to reckon with it properly and recognize it in themselves. Um, You know, people today in America, young people, know about the Holocaust. Even then, probably not enough, but they do know about it. But... Studies have shown that Americans generally see the Holocaust as this one-time aberration, rather than the culmination of a centuries-long process that went, you know, covered all of Europe and most of its governments and most of its people, um, and it was really closely tied to Christian faith. People don't really associate the Nazis with Christianity, but the anti-Semitism, they saw themselves as the modern kind of scientific inheritors of a religious belief system about Jews. As Jews, we learn about the Holocaust as like one in a series of crusades, pogroms, all the things we've been talking about. But I do not believe and I think that there is, you know, studies and evidence that points to this, that most non Jewish people in America, at least, who learn about the Holocaust, do not learn about it in this context of Christian anti Semitism. So we learned today, and we talked today when we talk about anti-racism, about this idea of subconscious bias, that it's something we need to unpack. But this one is really under the surface. It's so subconscious because people don't even really know about it. People do not associate Christianity with anti-Semitism most Christians and most cultural Christians, secular people of a Christian nation don't really associate. So when it comes to the surface, there aren't those alarm bells and those red flags that we think there should be, because they've been sort of never taught to associate those things at all. Um, You know, the symbols of, let's say, American racism are talked about a lot. So when we see them, the alarm bells go off. The symbols of anti-Jewish sentiment are kind of ignored and so when they're there people don't realize what they are until suddenly they're all roaring to the surface in this like uh, you know almost seemingly unstoppable way um you know the theme of this episode is christmas for the jews my ancestors ancestors had to cower in their homes on christmas eve and you know try to not get out and not be seen why because your ancestors and by your i'm talking to non-jews today who are sort of ignorant of anti-semitism They might get riled up by their priest at mass and go out and kill the closest infidel, right? Now, you, as a descendant of those people, are not responsible for that. You don't have to apologize for that. But you do, I think, have to take seriously the way that those ideas might have trickled down to you in ways that you are not aware of. And they might be showing up in this sort of sanitized, modernized, 21st century way in, I don't know, maybe your willingness to believe a really, really awful story about Jews or... Accept certain tropes about Jews without really thinking about them deeper, or participate in intimidation of a random Jew, or graffiti on a Jewish building, uh, or approval of those things, or your willingness to ignore those things by sort of by sort of pretending that that's somehow a way of influencing Israeli politics, even though logically you know it isn't. All of that comes from a legacy that you have inherited without really questioning it. So that connection is baked into our bones as Jews, the connection between the history and the like, the past and the present. But I think that lack of education is what is allowing people to inherit this really awful set of stories and ideas, but doing it so blindly that even when they continue and, and jump right in line and continue that legacy, they are truly unaware of that's where it comes from. Um, Because I think that people would never want to think of themselves as anti-Semitic. It's one of those terms and um, labels that is completely outside of the pale that nobody wants to think of themselves as. But they're also so ignorant of what that is that they're able to actually... (laughs) go right down into the, you know, every single trope, the poisoned wells, the money, the influence, the power, the, you know, sneakily manipulating other people, every trope in the book without ever once acknowledging or realizing that that is what they're participating in. Um, I don't know what you guys think. I'm curious. I know this is long, uh, but I'm curious if we can maybe uh, get to it at some point.
1: I think a lot of what you're talking about is, is kind of what I'm thinking, which is... In in the last episode, I talked about how in the 19th century, um, you know, since the Enlightenment, we have these like liberal ideals of freedom and individual liberties and civil liberties, and how that's tied to statehood and nationalism and all of that. Um, So there are critiques of liberalism, and I'm not anti-liberal. I want to make it very clear. I'm very liberal, small L liberal. Um, I'm worried about kind of illiberal tendencies I see on the right and the left. That's not to say that we can't critique liberalism, even as we kind of see it as the best way so far to structure a society. There are critiques of it. And one of them is that when you see everything in terms of the individual, that takes the status quo in society and bakes it into default setting because we don't see the larger context in which people exist. And so now we have a lot of these kind of um, critiques of liberalism lead to you know, identity politics in a way that I think is sometimes really disturbing uh, because We don't want to be reductive about individuals and individual perspectives. Like just because somebody comes from a certain background, ethnicity, community, religious tradition, whatever it is, we can't reduce them to having a certain kind of view or experience. At the end of the day, we are individuals. But seeing everybody as an individual does kind of flatten um, inherent disparities in society because what's the difference between this person and this person and this person? We're all just individuals and we can kind of lose sight of the fact that there are some groups that have more power. And maybe they don't have more uh, political power uh, you know, as a, as a class, but maybe they have more cultural power. So I think very, very dominant in American society is Christian cultural power. You know, the whole country has off. For for Christmas, I don't care about Christmas. I mean, like, I wish. I send good wishes to my friends who celebrate. But like, for me, it's completely a meaningless day. It's just a regular day. Like my son has school. You know, it, it's just a regular day. Um. And that's fine. Like, I'm not opposed to people celebrating Christmas. I think it's great. Go, go be with your family. That's wonderful. But you'll sometimes hear, you know, maybe someone is Muslim and they want an accommodation for Ramadan or someone is Jewish and they want an accommodation to be able to eat in a sukkah in school or have off for all our very many, many holidays. And then you'll see people respond and say, oh, well, you'd never see these kind of accommodations for Christian students. Well, that's because it's baked into the whole society, the whole country has off for Christmas, like, the Met is closed, and the banks are closed, and Congress is closed, like, everybody is off. So you don't need an accommodation, because you're literally the default culture in our society. And I, and so with liberalism, I think that gets erased, like, you just don't see the ways in which certain assumptions are kind of just coded into the very uh, fabric of how things work and the infrastructure of things. (laughs) Excuse me. Um, And I think that's worth noting. And I want to say I'm not advocating for going back to communal centered, you know, accommodations. I think that can lead to very troubling places. But this is something we should be aware of and, and to think about.
0: I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense and it made me think about how in America the importance of anti-racism has become a really significant thing because people recognize that this country is where black people were enslaved and treated terribly for generations and generations and thankfully, there's an awareness of that that is coming more to the front now with this movement of anti-racism and learning things in ways that were not taught before. And I think that you see it too in Germany where there is a lot of anti-antisemitism. I, I don't know a better word for it, but there is a lot of awareness in Germany of what anti-Semitism is and how we have to stay very, very far away from it. And there has been a lot of support in Germany, in Berlin, for Jewish people and for Israel because they know what anti-Semitism, because they know what anti-Semitism is. And that hasn't happened in America. So while we're at it, I'm just gonna add here that there has been a lot of pushback towards the pro-Judaism in Germany and it's, it's all just very complicated. I also wanted to add that while there have not been zillions of people standing up for jews right now the ones who have have touched my heart in ways that is hard in ways that are hard to explain i heard a story of a friend whose entire neighborhood went to this this family and said how can we put up a mezuzah so that you will feel safe in your home with your mezuzah we will all put them up so that you won't feel alone and i have a friend that I knew from high school, who lit a menorah in her window just so that Jewish people in her neighborhood would would feel safe lighting menorahs in their windows. And that really, really touched me. Ooh, choking up a little. So thank you to the people who are supporting Jews right now in this very, very strange time for all of us. And we hope that everyone feels safe and happy and enjoys their families and their lives and this podcast. This was produced by us, edited by me, and thank you to Nahadar for our intro and outro music.